Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Fitbit Pod. My name is Ben Lomas, and with me always is my dear friend Doris Jarsinger. Hello, Benjamin. We have a very <laughs> wonderful guest I want to get straight stuck into. Uh, uh, this uh, next guest is uh, a winner of the 2017 Miss Universe Australia, winner. but also an advocate for mental health, a speech pathologist. It's got so many things to get uh, and unpack. Let's just get her in. Ladies and gentlemen, most importantly, it's her birthday. Please welcome <laughs> Olivia Rogers. Yes. Happy birthday to you. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday to you. you. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday to Olivia. Olivia. Happy birthday, birthday to you. you. Oh. Because you did such a wonderful thing oh. for us. Here's a cake. A cake. Oh, wow. a, I that is so cute. Uh, it, I could, I tried to find this uh, the more the weirdest one to get, and it's, it's really, from. It's pretty random. Yeah, actually. it's from because I didn't want it to just be a cake for the sake of a cake, but yeah. also it's a, it's a bread top, and it's got a. They call it the Mickey Mouse Black Forest, but it's a blue oh. Mickey Mouse. So I think I don't a think bl- they've got. Yeah, I've never seen a blue Mickey Mouse before, and I would not have guessed that that was Mickey Mouse. But That's not even close to Mickey. Can we, Mouse. Can, I think can you turn, turn, turn around? I was, like, oh, you haven't seen a photo. Ah, um, oh, so it's a blue. It, yeah, it's Mickey Mouse, who's so blue it looks like he's choking on something. <laughs> also, blue food is always a bit random. Yeah, you know? it's not that natural. Yeah, that natural no, color. Good, there Thank are potatoes you. that are I haven't blue, had though. a cake today yet. So well, that's there perfect. you go. We're there so we go. excited. So, to give you uh, first happy birthday! Thank you so much. Uh, can we ask how old you have can? You turned? Yes. yes, I'm 29 today. Yeah, nice and one. I, yeah, I feel good. I feel good about it. Well, you were saying that 29 feels like an odd one. Because it's I think everyone's like, oh, 29's a bit random. Because, you know, it's just one step closer to 30, but it's not 30 yet. It's yeah. one of those years it's a bit like you don't really go over the overboard and celebrate too much because it's just 29. But well, Some some people do go a bit crazy because they're like, it's my last year of my 20s. Here That's we true. go. Let's go. I've got to go overseas. I've got to break up with my partner. I've got to get back together. Anyway, enough about that. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you do? No, no. Yeah. No, no, no. Uh, but Olivia, Ben's uh, been with his partner now 25 years? Yeah, 25 wow. years. On and off since the age of 20, uh, 16? 50, yeah, 16. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So did you do that when you were 29? Uh, no, I did do that with 29. I did have a friend who uh, went absolutely bananas. But yeah. when I hit 30, I did have a one hell of a midlife crisis. Did you? Yeah. Okay. I, I, I hope that doesn't happen to me. I feel like I've had that crisis. Like I had that a while ago. Yeah. yeah. Or, or, it's common people have the quarter life crisis. So you, you hear about that yeah. at 25. 25. Uh, I, I, I had a midlife crisis at 25 because I didn't think I was going to live past 50. I, uh, <laughs> I had such unhealthy and drink eating and drinking habits that I was like, well, 50 is probably my way to go. So I had a, a big party uh, for my midlife crisis party at 25. Well, it, it's funny because I don't know if you feel this, Olivia, but it's like 29 is, I guess, you can look at it two ways. It's like either it's a random number mm. or it's the last year of your 30s. Did you have a big yeah. 21st though? I did. Yeah, I had a big 21st. Um, I I do enjoy celebrating birthdays. Yeah. It's it's fun. It's fun to feel the love from all the people that you yeah. love. I've always been one to sort of, you know, the milestone ages celebrate those. But yep. I did say to Deal the other day that, um, yeah, it's been 10 years today since, well, I, not I suppose not today, but, but that being age, my that birthday age, yeah. since that age, um, since, yeah, I was 19 and that's when I developed my eating disorder. So I do feel like it's meaningful in a different way. Yeah. yeah, you have like some sort of like that. Ten years is almost like a, a, a like I know in AA and things like that they celebrate those years. Yeah, so in its own kind of recovery sense, that ten years is it's a decade. Yeah, of, well, of, I mean, it's not ten years since well, it's ten years since it started, but yeah, mm. it, yeah, it is definitely a milestone because I do feel like I've come full circle. Like I have been in recovery now for about 
for just over four years. Mm. And, and yeah, I think it's important to celebrate those wins. Otherwise, you just let it pass by and forget about it and forget how, how big it actually is. So, so you say f- four years in recovery. Yeah, just over just because over. it was not long before Miss Universe that yeah, right. I actually started my recovery process. And yep. so for any listeners, uh, we've always tried to put a bit of a heads up that, yeah, we will be talking about eating disorders in this one. So if it's something that triggers you, maybe, you know, come to it when you're a bit more yep. uh, a space when you're more comfortable listening to. But yeah, so Miss Universe was 2017 mm-hmm. and that's when you had just started or realized you had the uh, disorder? Or oh, I been... knew I had the disorder for many well, years. Yes, so, 19, yeah. yeah, so I had it from the age of 19, mm. so it was about six years, um, but it, it varied in severity, I suppose, across those years. So there yeah. were years where it was it was shocking and it was all-consuming, and then there were years where it wasn't quite so bad, so I thought I was fine, and I, and I kept convincing myself that I could get out of it on my own. Right. Because it happened so quickly that I, I still sort of, and I think this happens to a lot of people, that I was convinced that because it happened so quickly, I'd be out of get out of it so quickly ah. but but it's not like that and i think when it when you feel like it's not it's not something that's happening all the time you don't think it's controlling you so much so so yeah you kind of think you Does can. it sneak up on you or did it sneak up on you It did sneak up on me but i mean in hindsight it was bound to happen like right. i everything was sort of leading to that point um So, so let's go back to 19 then had you yeah. started modeling at that point Yeah so i was approached by a modeling agency when i was about 17. Now, how does, how does that work? It was on Facebook, which I, I think that's not... <laughs> may, I mean, maybe... No, Facebook is... I don't know. It's not really a thing now. So maybe it happens on Instagram now instead, but I yeah. got messaged on Facebook. Back in that time, though, it was more that girls got approached in person. Yeah, because um, I still find this quite fascinating that, you know, with everything that's going on, that when you approach a girl at 17 and you have a modelling agency, like, it just seems... Somewhat creepy at the time. Go, well, hey, yeah. you're, you know, yeah. you're good looking. You should come work for me. <laughs> yeah. You're yeah. a forty-year-old man. Well, I, Get away. <laughs> well, it, it was a female. I, I okay. think if it were, if it had been a man, I might have been. I maybe I wouldn't have responded. But yeah. um, I did still think it wasn't meant for me. I thought it was. A, an accident. Yeah, that or, happens to me a lot. Yeah. When I get asked to be a model, I'm always like, oh, oh God. I'm, so weird. I check my calendar. <laughs> Busy. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you thought it was a mistake. I did. Well, I was such an insecure kid. I, but, uh. And also, like I say, that it all came to a head when I was 19, but I think that the issues with food and my body and everything started well before that. Right. When I was a pretty young kid, I think. Did you grow up in Victoria? No, I'm from Adelaide. Oh, okay. Yeah, only been here for four years as well. Yeah, yeah. right. So, and do you reckon as a kid then, it was it uh, the culture, that stuff that we were seeing on TV? Because we've had people no, f- like, say, so. closer to Ben and mine's age in the late 30s who said it was a lot to do with like TV shows or specifically like the Kate Moss, Naomi Campbell, that kind of era of yeah. body types being, you know, pushed in the media. I think when I, when I sort of started going into the modelling or heading in that direction... That was definitely a thing that you, right. you were supposed to be that thin. But prior to that, it wasn't it wasn't the media or looking at other people and not Marisa that from the OC. No, no, I mean I adored her, but um, yeah. but no, it wasn't that. But I, it's more that food became comfort. My parents split up, and ah, and Mum right. was a, a feeder. Yeah. Um. So all of us there, you know, there were three of us at the time. My dad's had two more children since that time. Right. Yep. Um. But yeah, the three of us, Mum would just be like, "Don't be sad. Have a." You know, hot dog, milkshake, ice cream, everything. Right. Yeah. Um, just as a snack before dinner, you know, like we were eating a lot. And I definitely. Sorry, did you just clear your throat into the <laughs> microphone? <laughs> I 
think it was. Well, oh, sorry. <laughs> but it was accommodation. <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. No, no. <laughs> you, Olivia, you didn't have the headphones on. I heard it. It's like, like loud. In my no, but it was. <laughs> I, but at least I was, it was a very lucky <laughs> one, aren't they? <laughs> so right. lucky. What? Was it you salivating about hot dogs yeah, before? Yeah, yeah. Because. <laughs> Making you hungry. I, I, went, I, was, I was like, were you like <laughs> milkshakes? Milkshakes with hot dogs as a snack. And I was like, mm. and then I coughed at the same time. So I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, and there's a snack, and then all I can think about was like, you know, as a mom going through a divorce, you just want to make your kids happy. Yeah. You want to make your kids happy all the yeah. time. Because right. I guess it's sometimes literally, I know, and I and I feel bad even like telling that story as it was, but the mom knows. A good place. Yeah, she um, she's such a good person, but yeah, it did. But she she has also said to me that she often turned to food as a as a comfort too. So it was just sort of her way to cope, and it was then our way to cope, and mm. and it wasn't till you know I'd be sitting in certain situations with my friends who were, I started to notice that they were a lot smaller than me, you know, mm. like my legs would rub together and their legs didn't rub together. And right. If I sat down, I had rolls, but they didn't. And I, you know, I started noticing those kind of differences right. and then starting to feel a bit self-conscious of that. And also of how much I ate because I was so used to, you know, at home also mum would cook for 10, but there were four of us right. um, and we'd always have seconds. And so then I'd be say with my cousins at a family thing and, and they would just, you know, they'd leave food on their plate. And mine would all be gone and mm. and I'd still be a bit hungry because I was just so used to eating so much. And so then I started becoming, yeah, very self-conscious of how much I was eating or how different I was to my friends, friends or my cousins yeah. or, yeah. And this was the later part of high school? Uh, it was probably from the age of about nine. Oh, okay. To, it was that early, like, pre-pubescent. And you, were, and you were conscious of your weight? Then, yeah. Then. Well, then I started getting bullied by a few awful kids. One kid in particular who was a family friend, um, yeah. he was horrible. About and your weight specifically? About my weight, yeah. Yeah, wow. Because for me, nine was when I started putting on, and it was very much, that resonates with me a lot because it was about 14 people in the house that I grew up in, and my grandma was like the matriarch of the family, wow. and she loved cooking. She was the feeder. But also there was like religious issues because grandma is Muslim, I'm not. And I felt like as a kid, you want to connect with, you know, the head of the family. In some way, yeah. And when the food was involved, that's when I felt the most amount of love coming from her. Like, it's not that she always loved us, but, you know, as a child, you feel yeah. that disconnect. But when there was food and I had I could put away so much, she would be, like, so proud. Yeah, it's so happy like, that you're yeah. loving what she's producing. Right. And, yeah. and if there's someone who had any leftovers, it would go to my plate and things like that. So it yeah. became this idea, if you clean the plate, then, then there's nothing left there. And you've then done you, well. Then you've yeah. done well and you get yeah. the approval of the head of the family, which is exactly and what And especially you if they're older, like, because I remember my grandfather would, my Dutch grandfather would be like, you know, have a little bun. Now put some Nutella on it. Now put some more honey, then put some chocolate on it. And I was like, mate, there is so much sugar in this <laughs> bun. And then I found out that, you know, it's because he had diabetes and wanted to live through me. Oh, wow. He's <laughs> like, yeah, now that's how like, the Long yeah, Island yeah. iced tea got invented yeah, by like, a sober oh, person oh, just oh, asking to pick yeah. that stuff. Um, so to hear you say that you were thinking about that at nine uh, mm. just does does send shivers down my spine because yeah. I have a daughter who's six. And the idea that, and I already see it now quite often, especially in the playground already, that already there are some comments, not many, uh, but just about body body image. Oh, and, and they stick with you. Yeah and, yeah, and this is where it's like, you know, trying to, you can do all, all the work you can to, to give your child all the confidence in the world, but there does reach a point when you're in a collective and you're in a group and friends mean everything to you that mm. it's those kind of comments yeah. that help you. Now, when you're nine... Does, do those comments affect you and d- does that continue until you get 
Well, it, it did, yeah. I, I wish I could say that it didn't, but I think I really held on to that. So I, from, from the age of nine to probably about 12, I was a chubbier kid. But I, start, I, I wasn't very good at sport either. So I think that was part of it is that, you know, I'd try and get out of um, phys ed. I just didn't enjoy that. I wasn't good at it. You know, yeah. the balls, like if we were playing a ball sport, it would hit me in the face. I'm like, I don't really want to do that. So I'd try and opt out of things. Um, and then also because I started to be so self-conscious of my body, you know, swimming carnival and that kind of thing, I hated it. Mm. So I didn't want to be in my bathers in front of people. So I, yeah, I, I think... That started then, but then I started to lose weight because I got into rowing and I was okay at rowing. Um, they, apparently they say that there's, there's very different coordination to all the other sports. So. Well, so yeah. the board covers all the roles as well. So yeah. you see the roles, yeah. so you feel less self-conscious. Yeah. But also, but, but, but if, you're row, like, if you're rowing, like, were you doing the skulls? Were you ever um, doing the skulls? I, was, I started in a quad. I did quad, yeah. Um, but I rowed from the age of 13 all the way through school. Yeah. And... Um, and so, and it's so much fitness and it's pretty yeah. full mm. on. And you start, you know, the coaches were telling us to eat, you know, really good nutritious foods. It wasn't, there was no talk of going on a diet, but right. he said, you know, you've got to be eating enough to keep up with yeah. the energy that you're burning. And and I so started just being a bit healthier. So the, and the, the, it starts shifting the mindset as being the comfort as opposed to fuel. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, yep. definitely. So my attitude towards food had changed. Um, and I just sort of naturally lost the weight. I think mm. also, you know, hitting puberty, right. you, you grow up and, and you just sort of slim down a bit. That that happened. But I still very much felt like the kid, the 11-year-old the chubby, awkward kid that was getting picked on. Mm. And, I, and I don't think that ever really leaves you. I think even now at 29, like I think that kid's still there, you know. Oh, 100%. And that child, that uh, the the family friend that was picking on you oh, and stuff, yeah. are, they, are they still in your life or? No, thank God. He, he, yeah. he sucks. Um, <laughs> uh, no, he's not in my life. Have but you bumped into him since then? No, well, he's, he's in Adelaide and, yeah, we don't have yeah. anything to do with each other. But, yeah. but, yeah, those comments stick around. For and, sure. And, I I, you know, I can still – I can visualise, like, what I was wearing, where I was sitting when the, the really hard-hitting comments came yeah. because they do stick to you. In 90, uh, When I was 10 years old, I moved to a new class and I was, you know, a couple of days – I was overseas, so I missed the first few days. And every student was sitting two by two and I was late to class, so I was by myself at the back. And I got given the nickname The Lonely Elephant oh. by the teacher. <laughs> That's so mean. Oh, my God. That's actually that, not too dissimilar. This kid called me a beached whale when I was, yeah, by the pool. So nice big amazing. animals, a Animals, of exactly. Us. Yeah, lovely. And that <laughs> the, was, the lonely elephant, it's that adjective oh. beforehand. <laughs> yeah, really lonely, sells yeah. It. And that was the nickname for three years. You know oh. what I mean? So uh, I, I, that, that stuff really resonates with me. And you're right. It didn't go away. I was able to use it as material, you mm. know, 20 years later. So fuck you. Uh, and uh, But I... Um, yeah, sorry, go. No, well, you see, you get through high school and you get mm. to 17 and you get approached. Yeah. Um, are you thin at that stage? Like when someone well, says. Yeah, uh, I mean, I was pretty average size. Yeah, I maybe a size 10. I, I don't actually really know. Well, what I was going to ask was the consciousness was now there about that well, how you look. And then yeah. was there a boost in self-esteem as it was dropping? Mm. Because that's what happened to me is that incorrectly I started feeling that I was worthy of love and respect as long as the, as the scales were going down. Yeah, I think that came after. Okay. I think because it had been quite a natural progression that, you know, the more exercise I was doing, uh-huh. okay. the more it was coming off. I did have people you know, um, friends of my parents that I'd bump into and maybe I hadn't seen them in a couple of years. 
and the shock on their face and like the approval of, of how I now looked as, you know, compared to right. being that chubby, awkward kid, they'd be like, oh my goodness, I didn't even recognize you. That kind of thing. That felt shit because I was like, well, was I was I that bad before? Right. Because it was kind of, and maybe you had the same thing that like people tell you how great you look, but it's kind of, it's in comparison to your old self. Uh-huh. And then it sounds like from the way that they say it, and they don't necessarily mean to, but it sounds like you looked really bad before and you, right. and they didn't like how you were before, uh-huh. but now you look great. Cause like the, their face kind of lights up. Like I think it's that shock and that. Yeah. yeah but people I, get hesitant to give you compliments when you've lost weight because they, yeah. the people who are at least aware of those issues are always like, I'm sorry to say this, but you look great. Yeah. I always find it funny that it starts with, I'm sorry to say this. I think, but I think that's actually good. I, I think that's, that's, good, a, that's yeah. a, that's mm. a more common thing now that people are aware that weight loss isn't always necessarily a good thing. And it's yes. not always on purpose. Yes. No. There could be so many other factors going on that cause that weight loss. And I yeah. think, but a lot of the time it is something that triggers an eating disorder too uh-huh. because you get addicted to that positive feedback. And also the control that you gain back. Yeah. I remember when I was sampling um, um, intermittent fasting but a bit more longer-term fasting and I was doing like 24-hour fast and then I tried a 48 and then I did a 72. Oh and I was on the podcast talking about how the 72 fast was a lot easier than I thought it was and I was like having this clarity and I was feeling so like great and blah, blah, blah. And I was talking about the positives of it. And then one of the, our listeners who uh, mm. had struggled with uh, um, under eating in the past said, hey, be careful because that's how it starts because mm. it might the feeling of euphoria that you're feeling might not necessarily be anything biological, but this feeling of that you used to be out of control of food, like you had to give in to this, like it, you were at mercy of yeah. your hunger and all of a sudden now you're taking control of that hunger, it can go too far the other way. So to be 100%. mindful of that. And it happens so quickly. So yeah, to answer your question that was a while ago, um, I, yeah, I got approached by the modeling agency, but at that time I wasn't really focused on, well, I had never, it had never crossed my mind. I had never looked in a magazine and thought, wow, I want to do that. Mm. I could look in a magazine and see models and think they looked amazing, but I never saw myself in that way and it was never something that I considered. I was quite a nerd. I really wanted to do well in year 12 and I wanted to go on and study and, and do speech pathology and, and that was very much my my plan. So when she approached me, I was like, well, no, I'm, I, <laughs> you said for your joke before that you, oh, I'm busy. I was busy. I was studying. I wanted to do year 12. I wanted to, to finish it. And I thought, you know, maybe I'll revisit the offer when I finish it, but I just wanted to focus on that. Did you um, ask them how they found you at all? I think she had found me in tagged photos with someone. Uh-huh. Ad- Adelaide's very small, um, so I think it was kind of through someone else mm-hmm. that was at the agency. Again, that's um, someone's job. I, it just, it just, that just blows me away that that's someone's job going, okay, I'm looking for hot girls today. Here we go. Okay. Oh, yep. Okay. Yep. I'll, I'll contact her. I, just, I find it so bizarre. But yeah. that is the nature of the industry. Yeah. That's how you find talent. I know. It's, fun, it's funny because, I, I mean, you're looking through a, a very different lens. Like it does start to become normal because it's just part of my story. But I do think someone who hasn't heard that kind of thing before, it is yeah. It's weird. Yeah. yeah. And you're making me realise how weird it is now. Um, in hindsight. <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah. like, it's, and for them, it, again, it's like, it's just another, yeah. <laughs> another day another in the day. office. Yeah, literally. <laughs> so you get approached, you don't do it when... Does... I didn't do it straight away, yeah. So then I finished year 12. I wanted to travel and do all those fun things after school. So I did that. I went and worked at a summer camp in America. And, oh, which um, state? In New Hampshire. Um, yeah. That's it like was, in, uh, it's north like, of New York and yeah, stuff, isn't it? Yeah, six hours north of New York, two hours from Boston. Yeah, um, right. It's a beautiful part of the world. Would that be a was, camp full of rich kids, though? Yeah, it was. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It was a private camp. It was. Oh, it was pretty extra. The food was amazing, and 
um, yeah, the kids were getting sent packages from their parents every single yeah. day. It, it was very much pe- parent trap. Like they, they got p- picked up in limousines and it was right. mental. Yeah, you, you, like that, that limousines. That yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that's crazy. super rich. Don't you have yeah. to have an idea? It's just crazy. Right. Yeah, they probably was, get dropped off by insane. John Travolta in the plane. <laughs> <laughs> God, I wouldn't notice if that happened. But, um, but no, it was pretty amazing. So I did that, went to Europe and did all the fun things. And then um, I had put on a bit of weight when I came back and the um, – because, you know, overseas, it's just yeah, what happens. Yep. Um, I think if you haven't done that, then you probably haven't enjoyed all of the food and everything enough. Um, but I came back and, and that's probably one of those moments where I was like, oh, God, I'm not, I'm not going to be good enough to go to even step foot into the agency right now. Um, and she was sort of pressuring me to come in and, and do a course and, and to take the next steps. But do a I, course? Yeah, course what? you do a modelling course. Oh, really? Like how to walk yeah, and, it's that and kind pose of thing. and stuff like yeah. that? Really? I, I, it's a bit of a money ploy. Like they... Yeah, it's like the f- photos. It's you, like, you, yeah, 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 yeah. You've got to have the portfolio. So they, yeah. they, they promise you the world and say, you know, you could be a great model, but you have to spend... Three grand. Yeah, whatever it is first to pay for this modelling course, to pay to get photos taken and, and do and all that stuff. And it's run by them, the modelling course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So, oh, we yeah. can do a package. And because you're with us, we can do <laughs> yeah. this, this, this and this. Exactly. So, yeah. Wow. Um, so, yeah, anyway, then I We should I run just... comedy courses. <laughs> you should, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you want to be on the all, podcast, you've got to pay us first. <laughs> we'll teach you all about it. We've got your demo. You've got your demo. Yeah, Here we yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, right. you should. You know, killing from that. <laughs> no, we know people who do these comedy <laughs> courses. Oh. And, uh, yeah, they're not great at comedy. Not great. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, said those who do... Uh, those yeah. who oh, those teach. who can't do teach, yeah. yeah. That's very true. This is very true in comedy. Very true. Um, so, yeah, I, I ended up doing the modelling course, but not till I, I felt a bit more comfortable. So I had sort of getting... I started getting into exercising regularly and just eating well. Um, as a start and then that was very much the start of of the end uh, the beginning of the end because um, I think my question is and we've uh, we've had uh, previous guests who've talked about their eating disorders mm. I think when when do you have a particular time where you go where you you go ah oh, I, I have an eating disorder is there a moment where you go because I assume it creeps up on you because you're doing all these things but then when do you realize where it clicks and you go oh I am this definition mm, it, it was probably towards the end of that so after my gap year that's the beginning of my first year of uni is sort of when I started to go into the agency more and and do the things that they wanted me to do started going to castings and that kind of thing and uh, I think maybe two-thirds of the way into the year she, the um the owner said to me, you know, I had these photos that she told me to get, and I, but I wasn't getting any work. So I said, well, you know, I've put all mm. of this money in that you told me to do. Um, what happens now? Like nothing's happening. So do I just pull the pin? And she said, no, actually, um, we think you'd be great in Japan. We have a guy coming over from Japan that we want you to meet with. Um, if you go there, you can earn $20,000 in six weeks. Uh, but, you know, the catch is you have to be a certain size. So oh, she measured, she took my measurements and um, what my measurements were at the time on my hips, they had to be, I think it was about five centimetres less, which is a lot. But in my mind, I was like, oh, that doesn't sound like that Not, much. It doesn't yeah. sound that hard. Um, but things like centimetres or hips, specifically the areas, like you can't target fat loss. Yeah, you can't spot reduce. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, you can't just spot reduce. Yeah, yeah, spot reduce. So like, you know, pick it. Say, say it's your arms that you don't like. You can't just go and train arms and just lose weight from your arms. Yeah. Like the rest of your body will change. Yeah. Yeah. So you can't target one spot. So I couldn't like go to a trainer and say I just need to get my hips to this measurement. Like, yeah. Mm. I just lo- to... I've just never heard the term spot reduce. Oh, I heard mm. it a lot at the time. Yeah. Okay. It was about that. It's like it's like industry jargon. Yeah. 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 Wild. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So I I was like, cool. Yeah. Okay. How long do I have? And I think she gave me five or six weeks. And I thought, because, you know, what an amazing thing as an uh, 18, 19-year-old to, I was 19 then, to um, to go yeah. and make 20 grand in six weeks. Oh, like, yeah. that was unfathomable. Like, the jobs that I was doing, I was well, getting Well, I'm 36 like and he's 40, now. but 20 grand in six weeks sounds amazing even Oh, my now. God. Oh, yeah, even <laughs> That's now. That's not a 19. Yeah, no, I but I, I would have lived off of that for a few years probably. I think at 18 um, I was working as a Gabo. <laughs> Oh, yeah, you yeah, yeah. I was working at Dan Murphy's at the time. Oh, great. Yeah, I was oh, yeah. a checkout chick, yeah. And really suddenly two, 20 grand, wow. Yeah. And a lot of people pretending they're having a party. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm just having a party. <laughs> just, yeah, no, no, it's not all for me, having a party. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, that was, that was not a great job. Um, but, yeah, so I was like, cool, I'll do it. And it was within that six weeks of, you know, planning to meet with this agent and trying to lose that weight that that is when my eating disorder developed. Wow. I don't think that I was very aware of it at the time because I, I kept trying to convince myself that no I'm just doing it for the end goal I'm doing it for modeling yep. Yep. and once I stop and once I meet with him well I hoped I'd go to Japan but I thought if it doesn't happen then you know I'll stop all of these yes. behaviors and and these thoughts will stop but when you spend that much time focusing on your size and what you're eating and how much you're exercising it just yeah it's a very slippery slope so can I then slightly pause the the story and actually get some genuine advice then because yeah. I am sort of at that stage where I am trying to break away from focusing on things like scales and mm. and and uh, trying to throw just them out. Really, you reckon? Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I I know it's it's hard because you do like it's it's so addictive like that that six weeks when it's all sort of started. Um, I was I ended up weighing myself a few times a day because mm. I and I would write down how much mm. I weighed and I'd figure out the average and, and all it was I was obsessed because so, yeah, when you when you weigh your, yeah when you weigh yourself that often you fluctuate so much and also when you're that thin I was tiny mm. you fluctuate so much I could drink a bottle of water and I'd weigh more because yeah. I, there was just nothing of me um, and you're trying but, to like remove every, like watches contact lenses oh. <laughs> <laughs> take everything out yeah um, but you're just I, so happy when you take a shit well <laughs> yeah <laughs> If, if the numbers, but it's it's so, like, you're addicted to seeing the number go down. Yeah. So if you get on and you're even 200 grams up, yeah. it's you a, feel it's shit. Fa- it's failure. And it, it's ru- like- and it ruins your day. Like, because I would do that first thing in the morning and then it sets me up for a shitty day. But if yeah. I then got on the scales later in the day, having starved myself all day, and I weighed a bit less, I was like, oh, thank God. Like, the, I had this High feeling five. of relief, yeah. which is horrible. Like, it, your mood should not be dictated by this number, which actually doesn't mean anything. So that's, that's yeah, that's why this year I weighed myself on 1st of Jan, and mm. then I weighed myself uh, the day after my birthday, and then one more recently. Oh, that's an interesting day to weigh yourself. Because I had kind of, again, this is where I'm going back to giving myself these uh, uh, what uh, arbitrary goals. Yeah. So okay. like you were saying, oh, I'm only doing this for these next six weeks. And was, I, I'm, I'm still in that mindset that yeah. I'm trying to break away from and think of it as lifestyle change as mm. opposed to a project-based, you know, uh, uh, focus. Yeah. Because I'm trying to make it like even out across 
10 years. Well, it's got to be, you have to maintain. Like right. it's got to be your life. Correct. Otherwise it is just a series of diets. Right. And it's a series of shitty thoughts about your body. Like right. they do, that doesn't go away. If you're still trying to um, hit the next target every time, like I, yeah, it's a really hard thing to do. So, to, so, so stats wise, like during lockdown from March till November, I lost 20 kilos. Wow. And I put on I five put since on then. <laughs> <laughs> and I put on five since then. Now, yeah. My brain should be, and, and that 20 is, by the way, not like unhealthy weight. It was still like excessive weight that I was losing. So that's good that I lost it. But what I'm getting to is that I've put on five since we came out of lockdown. Mm. And my brain can only focus on the fact that I've put on five as yeah. opposed to have lost 15 since March last year. So it yeah. should be a celebration of, hey, sure. you've you've uh, took off another 15 excess kilos. I should say that specifically excess weight. Yeah. So I should be happy. I'm running faster than ever before I'm, awesome. I'm, and all these things. But my mental headspace at the moment the is like you are a piece of shit because you put on five kilos. Yeah. So I guess that's why I said I'll pause your story for a second. But in terms of breaking from that pattern then mm-hmm. of thinking how what have you found in your experience that has been beneficial to be able to like you know so throw the scales out is one of yeah. the things you said oh there's lots of things but can i quickly ask you mm. do you think if you hadn't weighed yourself would you be so aware of that five kilos maybe only only because uh, so man boobs is something i've had since i was nine and last year november was the first time i felt like it was on the like way out gone. And then now I can start to see the sides of him coming again. So, there, yes, I would say. Okay. But otherwise, but, like, no. You but you feel quite but I feel good in fine. your clothes. Correct, and, yes. And you feel good when you run. Yes. I, I, I think, you know, throwing away the scales is the biggest thing because I was focusing on, yeah, maybe point like half a kilo. Mm. I'd focus on that and that could ruin my day. Mm. You, don't feel, you, get, you don't feel half a kilo. But that's when you right. get down to that level. Like I think, I think when, when, yeah. when it becomes a sense of maintaining or that you're actually too thin and, and it becomes a sense of obsession because I think early on when you have a lot of weight, the, the scales can be a tool oh, to yeah, hold yeah. you accountable. And I'm not saying that, yeah, yeah, that all people should throw out their scales. I think sometimes... <coughs> Um, sometimes they are a useful tool, yeah. mm-hmm. but if you are obsessing over yeah. it, right? And I think you got to throw it out, yeah, because and that's how it, it starts. And if it's isn't affecting it? your mood that much, like, and if it's a Fitbit scale, you should have never bought it in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> we had a lot of struggles with the Fitbit scale at the start of this whole podcast, oh, but really? yeah, yeah, we're just oh, that's a whole other story. But because we we this is how the podcast started, we had yeah. a bet yeah, yeah, between yeah, the two of me. us, and, and I think that the thing with that is that it, it was an amazing incentive. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, but I think. If you then focus too much, like I think if you start to sort of your identity becomes intertwined with your weight loss and like you're the person who's lost weight and that is kind of you then. Yeah. Um, I think that the hard thing in the industry that I was in as well, and I guess I still kind of am in in the industry, but it's shifted, um, is that so much emphasis is placed on how you look. Yeah. it's hard to separate myself from that and from people just like placing that on you. And I think when you have lost weight, regardless of the industry, people are like, oh my God, you're so amazing. And I want to be like you. And can you teach me how? And that kind of thing. But then if you are to put on any weight, Mm. you're like, oh, well, I've let them down. Like it's not, I think you feel like it's not just you. Like you feel this pressure from other people because people Mm. are looking to you. I don't know if you do. This is kind of an assumption. No, 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 no. I think think you and I are on the opposite end of that, like in the sense of where we started and then how the impact of the lockdown had on us. Like, it is that weird thing of we've both been public about. Yeah, because Dill lost more weight and I put on weight 
and that absolutely I found devastating, yeah. right? Because I'm like, I worked so hard to take it off. Yeah. But when I was the only one looking after two children in a six-month lockdown, wow. um, carbs became my friends. It yeah. became a coping mechanism. Yeah. Uh, probably, you know, I could have turned and had a drink again, but I didn't want to go down that path. Yeah. And something had to give. But it took me a while to genuinely forgive myself. Yeah. But my approach now, which, you know, I'm chopping away at the kilos, but the approach is totally different to before we did the bet because – now it's it's not just it's just not me it's me modeling my behavior in front of my kids yeah. Yeah. and so that's been a huge one and especially because my daughter not too long ago you know I uh, you know created my own vision board which I do once a year that's and awesome. smack bang in the middle is my family which is I love my little family it's everything yeah and Mickey's like well, why are we in the middle and I said oh it's just because you guys mean everything to me and and that's why you know, that's why, you know, you may focus and everything around it. It's like, you know, I'd like to go to Tasmania and all that kind of stuff. And she goes, well, if we're so important, why aren't you looking after yourself? Hmm. Now, when a six-year-old says that to you. She's six and she said that. She wow. said that to me. I was like, but, but I thought I was. Yeah. And then, but then I was like, maybe after a while I said, well, maybe my behavior is not saying that. And I don't think I really took a They're holistic so approach. Yes, yeah. so perceptive. So recently it's just been a whole different approach to, I guess, more a holistic approach that it's not just the scales, it's how I'm looking in the mirror or how I'm feeling or that we're eating. That's how you talk to yourself. Yeah, Yeah. and and that's the big one, how you really talk to yourself. And that's why when I see what's happening now in the world where, and and, and I guess we'll come to look at that is Instagram, Mm. is that so much of it is on Instagram because it's more the photo itself about how people look. Yeah. And that's what I find amazing in your industry is that how much, because you started as a model and then moved into that world and you are so much more than that, but you've been able to use your brand to reach those people, how much time do you spend a day thinking about how you look? Honestly, not much. That's amazing. I I think because because I've come such a long way, I I did initially and when when I was in the modelling industry, when I had my eating disorder, like it was, it was awful. I, so even though I threw away my scales quite early on, mm. I was still measuring myself yeah. for a really long time because that was the, that Did you was, do the average on that as well? Yeah. It, yeah. It was not good. Um, but I had to, because every time I went into the agency, they measured me as well. And, and your measurements Fuck. are written yeah. on your comp card, which is essentially a business like CV, card yeah. for a model. So it has, you know, your, your best photos, um, and your your height and your shoe size and your measurements. Yeah. Your measurements have to stay the same because if I if you go to a casting and the casting director expects you to be a certain size then and you're not, they'll be disappointed and they will tell you that. So I would rock up. They often lied about my height. So they said I was taller than I was. I don't know why. It was so stupid. So I'd go to a casting and the first thing they would say to me is, you're not that tall. I was like, yes, I, I know they they lied on my card, but you you're set up for disappointment straight yeah. away because I'm like, okay, well I don't fit the brief 100% now, and they literally just look you up and down, take a few photos of you. They hardly speak to you. They could not care less if you are funny, if you are smart, if you're yeah. an idiot. They could not care less. Right. They literally just care about how you look and if you fit their brief, and then you're in and you're out, and you're just. You're literally just this like mannequin, like Piece a walking of mannequin. Almost. Piece What's of a thoroughbred. Yeah. Literally, yeah. yeah. It's like, is she good enough? Oh, I don't know. But also they don't give you the feedback to say, look, we were actually looking for someone with, I don't know, red hair. Or we were looking for someone who um, has more freckles or something. It could be something so specific like that. Or sometimes a girl just walks in and they're like, yep, she's it. 
Um, but they don't tell you why you're not in. So when you're doing that, there was a period that I was living in Sydney and doing, you know, going to about five castings a day, five days a week, and maybe I'd get one job out of all of those. It is soul-destroying. Yeah, because the rejection is yeah. like, you know, 20% or 80% of the all time of you're it. getting rejected. Yeah. Yeah. So and what makes you keep going then? Oh, I, well, that's when I quit. Like I, I did it yeah. for a period. The thing that kept me going was my agency saying, you know, you've just got to keep pushing. You haven't, you haven't got yeah. there yet. You know, and you, and you land certain jobs and you think, well, maybe this is it. But I landed this job that I should have loved. Like it was a great job and it was the kind of thing I was working towards. But I remember being on the set and just being so miserable and, and freezing cold because I was so thin and so self-conscious of how I looked. They didn't put makeup on me and I hated how I looked without makeup and I just hated the whole thing. And I was like, if this is what I'm doing, if this is what I'm working towards and when I'm there in it, I hate it. Yeah, why am I doing it? I? Like one of my favourite sentences is there's no point climbing up a ladder that's leaning against the wrong wall. Yeah, because we're so that's used so to like good. go up the ladder, go up the ladder. But fuck, it's on the wrong wall. Yeah, why and am what's I at the end of it? Yeah, yeah. And but, I and and I thought too, like if I was to support, you know, make it in quotation marks, um, I like what am I making? If I if I get to a point where I'm a successful model at that size, the thought of trying to maintain that for mm, ever right. was just so daunting and terrifying. And I knew I wouldn't be able to do that. So that's when yeah, I had to pull the pin. But my eating disorder continued for years after that. But uh, and, but you, you you have had success in the modelling career because you, you, you won probably one of the most prestigious modelling uh, awards. Like Miss Universe is what a lot of models strive for. Yeah, yeah. I've, it's funny though because I feel like I went into it very differently. So, so when I, I quit modelling to that extent um, in Sydney, I left Sydney, moved back to Adelaide, I was like, I'm never doing that again. That's bullshit. Um, and I just studied. I did my speech pathology degree and I tried to really focus on that. And I started painting and selling my art and, and life was much better, but I still had my eating disorder. Yep. Mm. And that was devastating to me because I thought it was so linked to modelling. And I'd quit the modeling, ah, but it was still there. Right. But I mean, it was. It's know. almost like if with my drinking problem, if I thought it was comedy, that was the cause of it. Mm. And I've left comedy and I still was an accountant and I was still getting maggoted every time. Yeah. And you go, yeah, oh, yeah. it's me. It's not the industry. It's me. Yeah. Right. You remove the thing that you think is the cause right. and then it's still there. It's like, okay, there's something else going on here. Um, now, we're using the term eating disorder. What type of eating disorder was so it? So it started as anorexia because I was over exercising restricting to the point of eating hardly anything at all. Yep. Mm. Um, yeah, that was during that modelling time. And then it sort of switched. I mean, it's it's often anorexia and bulimia are often experienced yep. at the same time. Um, and that happened. It's, it sort of shifted into bulimia. And, and I had bulimia for, I think, five years. Yeah. Because bulimia too is... Um, the hard, I, one of the hardest things about it, I think, is that when you look at someone, you don't see, you wouldn't necessarily assume that they have it. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's almost the hardest thing. I didn't tell anybody, not a single person that whole time. I, I had a psychologist, but I didn't even tell them because I was so ashamed because I thought, oh, well, I don't even fit the brief of having an eating disorder now. When I, when I was modeling, people would say to me all the time, are you okay? Because I got to a point that I was so thin. I was clearly anorexic. Yep. But then I was bulimic, but I wasn't... I didn't look 
skinny. Right. Like, so I felt... We've had that on previous guests yeah. talk about yeah. bulimia being the one that you can still be at parties and things like that and seem to be eating. And yeah. then because of, you know, the regurgitation that, it, you know, they don't know that's happening behind yeah. closed doors. But yeah. also if it's not happening after every meal, then you mm. kind of convince yourself, well, I'm, I'm fine. Yes. Like, yeah. Yeah. That, the psychology of convincing yourself you're okay. Yeah. Or that you will get out of it. Yeah. I assume and extends the period. And justifying all of the behaviours because you're yep. like, well, I only do it in this situation, so I'm okay. I'm, yep. I'm not like the other people. I'm not like, you know, right. my problem's not that bad. Right. I feel like there are so many, I've, you know, I've watched a lot. I find addiction and that kind of thing very interesting. And I've watched a lot of documentaries and I see so many similarities. The parallels, with, same with, with my drinking disorders. and stuff. Yes. It's like... Yeah. Oh, look, I go blackout drunk, you know, f- four times this week, but it's not as bad as such and such yeah. as, like, you know, breaking into something and all that. You start I making excuses. I haven't hurt excuses. anyone. I just hurt myself. That and there's an yeah. element of ultimately I was explaining to someone a couple of weeks ago that it comes circles back to me about a self-respect or a self-esteem thing. It's like mm. what, how do you value yourself? Is this behavior congruent with someone who actually loves, you know, wants to look after themselves. Yeah. And it can work both ways. So for me, it was overeating and for yours, it was undereating. But it's still, yeah. the principle of it is the self-respecting. You you think you're not worthy enough to look, be looked after. 100%. And that's when, when I would make myself sick. It was, I had anxiety. I still have anxiety and, you know, it fluctuates. Um, but I, if I had a really anxious moment, that's when I would have the urge to urge to purge I hate so I'm run, <laughs> urge to purge um, <laughs> yeah I mean, I well it also does remind me of uh, Peter Hellier's old bit uh, that he is amnesic bulimic where he uh, eats a lot but then forgets to throw up urge to purge yeah, yeah urge to purge but yeah um, so you wouldn't you would have that or you wouldn't have it I would when I was really anxious right and so then that would be when I would act it's like a coping mechanism it's almost sure. like the opposite of the comfort eating yeah. but it's the principles the same I'm feeling anxious what's going to see get comfort what will I feel comfortable in yeah and and it, and it does give you kind of a release in the moment it's horrible mm. it's it's an awful thing to be doing to yourself and it feels disgusting but it does that i think there's like a moment well, i always felt a moment after that was a sense of relief and then maybe 2 seconds after the guilt and the yeah. shitty feelings kick in and the it's shame, like a shame. A bit of, yeah there'd be a fair bit of bit of shame because we yeah. always talk about when it comes to addiction like you know Dylan and i have both quit booze and which is you know, amazing we, and but there's also a point where you know like i thought there was a period where i, I might be able to have a drink on my 40th mm. but i don't think i'm there yet and i don't know whether i'll ever be there i think it's i think for one of these things where it's like we're done especially but, because your 40th was last year yeah, <laughs> i don't think <laughs> you're <40th. laughs> so that sounded like it was coming up yeah it was yeah. coming up right yeah. i know yeah, good, you burned a lot of brain, burn, brain cells <laughs> in his 20s and then but, you can't but it was count. That, it was that thing I was supposed to have a glass of rosé. The South of France and my family going, hey, um, I've got a new relationship with alcohol. But lockdown taught me anything. I just didn't have that self-control. And mm. the problem with food is, you know, whether you're overeating or you're undereating, uh, it, it, the trigger's always there because you have to You have to, to, to eat, have it every single day. You have to have, yeah. it, have it every day. Yeah. So how have you now, you know, being four years, uh, do you, are there still triggers when For you're sure. eating stuff? like? Yeah. Well, on on that, yeah. off the back of that, just because I'm mindful of time, I think it's quite important that in spite of us talking about the story, we need to get to as well um, the way you, you've you been dealing with it, as, as in yeah. solutions and yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the problem. Yeah. Because yeah. That I suddenly it. just realized, oh, we've been talking about how awful it is. We oh, haven't we actually got to, forever, yeah. how to how to actually fix it. But yeah. yes, off the back of that, um, uh, yeah, for me, the thing that you said about the um, 
the, the control. It's that we talked to Mickey D about it with his gambling, and it is known that the dopamine hit with any addictive behavior or compulsive behavior, it's not the actual activity. It's the moment before it. It's like that's where your dopamine is at its maximum. So mm. they use they studied it with pokey, uh, pokey machines. It's before the lever is pulled that you're happiest. So even if you win a million dollars afterwards, you're not as happy as the moment just before pulling that's it. That's so interesting. And it's where they're pretty happy with a million. <laughs> <laughs> But imagine imagine just before it would be even more, it would be like heroin. So apparently, yeah, yeah, it's a chase of the heroin. It's a chase of, for me, you know, the delivery rule, ice cream being delivered. I'm like, you fucking, here we go. It's coming, it's on the way. Like, it's that, it's the same principles at play. For me, it was like that feeling that being bulimic, in my experience, I can't speak for other people, but I was also abusing laxatives. Like, I, and they, they don't actually make you lose weight. They just sort of drain you of everything. And it was that feeling of, of feeling light. Yeah. And that's that instant feeling after throwing up was, was that. It was, I feel like everything's out of me. Yeah. And that, you know, that terrible food, yeah, which, is not terrible stuff, food, which is not terrible food. Yeah. It's not at all. But, um, but that's how you'd think. That's it. how I was thinking. I'm you, like, okay, it's out of me now. You're doing the better. right thing for yeah. it. And that was that instant feeling, but yeah, then all the badness kicks in. But so now I think one of the first things was throwing out the scales, even though it took me a long time to stop measuring myself as well. Mm. I don't own a measuring tape now. I had to get one the other day because I had to um, measure my wrist, but I've thrown it back out because I just I just don't want it in my house. I don't yeah. want that temptation. Wedding ring measurements? Um, oh, is that your, your that's, partner that's already okay. had it? <laughs> yeah, that's okay. I, I feel like, you know, that wasn't something that I used to measure compulsively. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then to seeing my relationship with food, I had to heal that. That was one of the biggest things. Mm. Um, so not viewing food as good and bad. Because for so many years after restricting so many things from my diet, right. you know, I had restricted everything like corn. With corn, like it's so yeah. it's, it's random. I, you know, things that I and you liked corn and you just I liked corn. Out of yeah. It, yeah, there were things that I would just take out because someone I read something somewhere that I should, and just so many foods that were fear foods. Yeah, um, but yeah, once well, I stopped, everything's got corn syrup in, and then you just kind of yeah, freak oh, out. so everything. <laughs> um, but yeah, so stop. I stopped viewing them as good and bad, and also I don't like the idea of like a cheat day. I just, mm. I think your body craves certain foods because you need it. And I try to eat mindfully, which sounds, I don't know, a bit woo-woo maybe, but um, I've read a few books on it. There was one in particular that really helped me, um, Jessica Sapel. It's um, Living Your Healthy Life. She went through a similar thing and she talks about mindful eating. And, yeah, that really helped me. And taking the time to actually sit down and eat my meals and, and be mm. grateful for it and, um, you know, put put a lot of time into what I make. I think, you know, learning to cook, I... I avoided cooking for so many years because I was so scared of food. Yeah. Um, and this sounds like a joke, but uh, but it's uh, the flip side. The book that I've found a lot of help with is a book called Mindless Eating. Uh-huh. And it's about how much the industry, like the food industry and food technology, is there to design to make us just like zombies just keep ordering stuff and yeah. upsizing and just the psychology well, yeah, around yeah, not food. being conscious of what you're actually, yeah. yeah. And so or being too conscious of what you're having. Yeah, I so think, the cheap, yeah. I think there's, there's something to be, like, you know, you, you can read too much into it. Like I'm reading a great book called Brain Changes mm. where it's just understanding how the food actually generally affects your body and, mm. and how it generally, but I think sometimes like if you if you read too much into it, you before then, you know, like you want to be informed and you want to know what food does and how it does and how you affect it. But in the end, it, you know, sometimes it always comes back to just having a, a balanced 
balanced diet. For sure, it really <laughs> you know, does. Like a balanced... you know, it sounds basic, but it's, yeah. that's what it is. Like, um, if I feel like a burger, I'm going to have a burger and I'm not going to let myself feel bad about that because I enjoy it. And it, my fear for so long around those foods, and pasta was a huge one, a f- huge fear food, was oh, if I eat that, I'm going to feel really shit afterwards. Because when I was so thin, I would. If I ate normal food, because I was starving myself so much, I would be so bloated yeah. and uncomfortable. But now, like, I can eat that and enjoy it and eat till I'm full and, you know, recognise that. And I feel good and I can mm. enjoy it and not, yeah, not feel that guilt after. But you do have to push past so many uncomfortable feelings to get to that point. And now it's not something that I have to be so conscious of. It's sort of just is what it is, but mm. it was a habit that I had to break. And how, I had to, how long did that take? It took a really long time. Like I I went sort of, I feel like it was kind of my own um, AA kind of um, approach and I don't recommend it because I recommend seeking professional help, which I didn't do and I really regret doing that. I think it would have been a much faster recovery if I, mm. if I had done that. But um, I started putting a cross in my diary for every day that I went without making myself sick. Mm. or taking a laxative. Um, we talked about, uh, you know, the streak and things like yeah. that last week or a couple of weeks ago. And um, on that, for me, I've, in terms of the food, what I've got in my little to-do or streak is not diet or, you know, it's just conscious eating, mm. just to make sure that every meal or at least once a day, I sit with the food without distractions, yeah. without like headphones or TV or a it's book so or anything. And again, it's really uncomfortable because mm. I'm like, my compulsion is to just keep, having stimulus going through my brain uh, even as I'm eating. And I end up eating more if I'm not focused on it. Yeah, for sure. So so you would put a cross Yeah, so day. I put a cross every day and, and I relapsed several times. But the, <coughs> the longer I went, and I think you, you know this feeling as well, I guess, from quitting alcohol too, like the longer you go, the more determined you are to keep it up because uh-huh. you don't want to break that really long streak. So, the, right. yeah. And it's also like a muscle. Like you're, it's becoming stronger the, the longer it goes. So... Yeah, I got to a point where I think I'd hit 100 days and, and that urge was just, it was dissipating. Yeah, it was still there. There were still certain moments right. that, you know, my anxiety would be heightened and I would want to do it, but I just would have to stop myself and just you and I, try and distract myself. We talked about this last week when we were hanging out, which was about, like, sobriety for me. It's like people miss, always think that I'm fine, but I'm like, no, I miss it quite regularly. Mm. And during lockdown is when they it kicked in really badly. Yeah. And it's exactly as you said. It was the fact that I had four years streak at this point that I don't want to ruin it. So I uh, I'll keep going. And now that I've pushed through that, it feels like I'm more muscular in being able to resist alcohol specifically. It's really empowering once and when it does. It's not an issue now. Yeah. Like I think like is it any like it's not an issue in that I would I still have the thoughts for sure. Yeah. Okay. I don't think they will ever go away. And that's the same I mean with booze. Yeah. But it is what it is. Like I and I'm okay with that because. I don't now feel scared that I'm going to act on it. Like right. those thoughts will come, but they'll come and they'll go. Because um, sometimes it's about like we try and run away from our demons or try and, you know, kill our demon. But I heard someone say you just sometimes have to dance with them. It's yeah. like, you know, like you just let them come in a bit and you're like, hey, hey, all right, have a look around, but get out of here yeah. because I'm not letting you stick around. I love that. Yeah, it's, it is very much like that. And, and I had those thoughts a lot last year, you know, during lockdown. It wasn't necessarily the urge to purge. It was more so... Um, oh, you know, well, I can't control anything that's happening right now mm. this year. Mm. There was a lot of stuff going on with my family and, yeah, everything was really heightened. Um, and my my brain was playing tricks on me and saying, well, maybe we should, you know, 
start some sort of diet or maybe you should do two workouts a day and yeah. then and then you'll feel better. But it's a trick. Like, it's not true. I know that if I did that, I would fall very quickly into my bad habits. So yeah. I have to exercise, but I have to be really careful not to overdo it because, yeah, I, th- I feel like, and I don't know because it hasn't happened yet because I haven't let it happen yet. But, um, but yeah, my theory is that if I... If I do too much of something, then it could happen again. But right. but I feel like I'm at a point where it won't now. Because you do a lot of running now. Yeah. And you would love the Yeah, running. and I love it. Yeah. I love it. So um, tell, tell us, when did you start running? Because you sounded like in school you were doing rowing. And, yeah, I hated and it, running at school. Yeah. hated it. Um, I started running for bad reasons. I started running to lose the weight when yep. they told me to lose weight because a trainer said to me, well, you know, you're walking, but if you run, you'll lose more. Um, Which I don't so, even think is true, right? Yeah, I think I it's like in terms of fat loss, I've heard that running is one of the, I love running. Running is my main thing, but it's the most inefficient way to lose weight. Yeah, I think, well, I was just overdoing it in general. Uh-huh. I was doing like... But wouldn't, it, wouldn't it, if you if you ran, you just would burn more calories than if the same amount of walking? Oh, for sure. But yeah. it's just in, inefficient in the sense that you're better off on a bike doing the exercise yeah. bike if it's fat But, I, you know, I was doing fat. all of yeah. the above. I right. was over-exercising like a man. You were running while holding an exercise bike. Right. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. There she goes again, Olivia. Well, I'll tell you what, that Miss Universe is in the back. <laughs> I mean, with that kind of determination. Oh, my God. Yeah, no, I, oh, I started running, yeah, then. And then I had to stop for a while because it was triggering because I, I used to only run to punish myself. Right. Whereas now I run for mental health. I don't Do you run remember when for... you first started again, when it was in a positive way how um, did, and how you felt on that day? It was probably about five years ago. Yeah. Cause it, the it reason was a I slow ask, process. Yeah. The reason I ask is you said you're still like, sometimes you're worried if you start something, how intense it's going to get. But mm. it seems like with the running now, five years in, you still haven't lost that control. Yeah. Well, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't recovered when I started running again, but my attitude towards it had shifted, mm. I think, because it had been long enough. But, yeah, I sort of took it slowly and I feel like I can't, you know, I, I really want to do a marathon like you. We, we spoke about that the other day as well. But, um, yeah, I do worry that I'd overdo it with that. But I know how important nutrition is and I think that as long as that's the focus and you know that you've got to replenish your body and, and you know, look at it that way um, rather than as like a, a weight loss thing because it's definitely, mm. it should never be that. I think you'll kill yourself if you do a marathon and don't eat. Um, you just you just end up pissing blood and your kidneys oh, would go like yeah, I'm... be terrible. So yeah, it's just it's just shifted. But my purpose behind exercise has shifted, and I think that's one of the most important things too. Is that I never eat a meal and think, okay, I'm going to run tomorrow because I ate this. I think once you do that, you get in a trap and you just keep doing that. You just keep exercising to punish yourself. But I exercise every, not every day, but, you know, I try to move my body in some way most days. Like it might be walking my dog or Mm -hmm. doing Pilates or running. Um, But it's because I know that mentally, like for my anxiety, I need to do that. It's not to lose weight. It's not to burn X amount of calories. It's to feel good. And so for our listeners out there, maybe if there's anyone who's going through it or has a family member going through it or something like that, what are some of the things you wish you you know now that... And also, what kind of role does does the people around you? Yeah, what you haven't spoken roles? about how your parents dealt with it, but or, how, or more like, know, like it's, there's too much to delve into. Yeah, it's hard to yeah. Or what can someone do to be supportive in that situation? Yeah. Because sometimes I'm assuming that if you try to intervene, people can you know can have oh, a negative you get angry. reaction. Yeah. I think it's like other addictions too that you know you become really defensive and you put your walls up because you're like, no, I don't have a problem. And mm. I did that. My um, my mum tried to you know she'd sort of be like, well, you're not you're not throwing up are you you know it was sort of like 
she was checking in, but she didn't really know how to do it. And mm. I feel so bad for her because I just, I would have just shut down and I, I was very good at hiding it. Um, and I also wasn't living with her at the time. And then my sister would try as well and I'd just shut her down too. Um, and then I just got so good at lying. Yeah. Um, I wish that I, it's more on me. I wish that I had been more willing to accept the help and I wish that I'd been more open about it. I wish I'd told my psychologist because I was seeing my psychologist for anxiety and depression at the time that my eating disorder was at its worst. But I didn't tell that big but one. But I didn't tell her. But it's I, such a big I think part she of the puzzle, knew. Huh? I know. Yeah. Oh, but I didn't think that. It's so stupid in hindsight. I didn't yeah. think it was so linked, but it was everything. It was, did he ever quit, he or she, did they ever question it? Oh, yeah. She, my GP as well, she she wanted to weigh me, and, but I was like, I already know exactly how much I weigh. I can tell you which time the graph. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I remember that so well because it was triggering. I was like, I don't want to be on your scale. Like, I've already done that. I, you know, I mm. wanted to be in control. But she, she was definitely aware. She actually referred me to a dietitian, and I went once. Um, because I didn't want to, she wanted me to eat more. And I was like, well, I can't because I'm losing weight for modeling. And then, yeah. So I think that the help was there. I just didn't actually use it and I didn't listen. Um, and I wish I had, but I think, yeah, it is really hard for family members, you know, seeing someone go through that and trying to approach them. I think my advice is to do it kindly and do it you know, in a very safe setting and don't try and attack them or accuse them of anything. Just sort of, yeah. you know, let them know that you're there Yeah, when they're ready. Not an over-the-top intervention. They, yeah, they've, we, got, they've got to be ready to, to yeah. get better. It's, it sounds so wanky and you made you, but it's like that self-love thing is what actually worked for me in the end. Like mm-hmm. when I was New Year's Eve 2017 when that shirt didn't fit and that kind of was the day I decided, okay, I've got to do something about this because I'd felt that feeling of shame or sadness before but this time it was met with hey it's okay you're still worthy of love and respect in spite whereas in yeah. the past it would be met with yuck you're disgusting see you don't fit in this shirt instead this was like how oh, that's all right that sucks but we're gonna we're gonna work on this yeah gonna, you gotta so be I, on your own team so yeah it's and, and it's like, gonna come from you because yeah. you can have all the love in the world from an amazing supportive family 100%, yeah. if it doesn't come within yourself like i know at the moment you know i'm going through it again getting fit and healthy but it comes from a completely different place because yeah. it's like i know i can do it i know I'm worth it except this time you know I want to do it and I'm doing it a different approach because it's like oh well actually I really want to model this yeah I really want to have the kids to be involved like really mm. just really have fun with it because I think sometimes it's what what you're happy with doing with yourself mm. but then also projecting it to the people around you so they could be yeah. part of the journey as well rather than keeping it so to yourself like I know yeah. it's part of you but if you can express like oh I'm doing this or you're supporting me and doing this thank you I can't do it without my support yeah. team because because that's why I'm fascinated with you you have such a huge following on Instagram and you promote that as well do you ever feel is there a sense of responsibility yeah, behind that but I, but I feel like it's helped me in a way because just before Miss Universe that's when I told people that I had an eating disorder um, I posted something about it on social media and then I went on and did Miss Universe and I never expected to win. I never expected it to be a thing. I actually got approached to do that as well, like the modelling. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I never thought that would be part of my life. Um, and it was amazing. It was such a great experience. But the best thing that I did was say that I had an eating disorder prior to that. It was still very fresh. It held me accountable, I felt, because... I know we were saying before, like you feel pressure from other people if you've lost weight to sort of maintain that. Whereas I'd come out on the other side, like I was at a healthy weight at this point. Mm. And I said to the the owners of Miss Universe, you know, if you guys tell me to lose weight, 
I'm not going to do this thing. Like, cause I can't, I don't want to fall back into old habits. Right. And they were like, no, we just want you to be, want you to be you and, and to win and be confident in who I was and not to feel pressure to look a certain way and be a right. certain way. I was just being myself. It was really cool. And and I think that's the thing with social media. Like, I'm just very open and I'm very much myself. And if people like that, then that's great. But if they don't, they don't have to follow me. Yeah. And I think that's been, yeah, it's been really helpful in my recovery because I it holds me accountable because I know that if I started to fall into old habits, people would notice. Like, right. people who follow me would notice that. And a lot of girls that follow me follow me for that reason. Right. So I would hate to let them down. So it's kind of... It's, and there's a sense the of thing. control in that. Yeah. But it's from you. Yeah. Like yeah. it's not a casting agent that exactly. is just measuring no one, you every yeah. time. It's, it's right. your no approach. It's dictating what I put up. I put up yeah. what I want to put up and I do the jobs that I want to do. Um, it's interesting you say yeah. accountability because I literally said that like a couple of hours ago I was doing this thing on like mental health and I was talking about how my weight was part of my shtick and then that held I was held to that to myself like that material was all about being fat which meant that Mm. if I lost the weight I lost all the material like your identity identity is linked into that so what I've decided for me is to flip it and say okay if I can then use my identity on stage as to be the one that gets dictated in real life Mm. then what's the persona I want to be on on stage and part of the reason why I talk about mental health stuff now is not saying that I'm nailing it but it's in a framework of I'm someone who asks for help because I can't always nail it but I can always ask for help. And that and takes the pressure off. Yeah. You don't just, need to be nailing it all the time if you're right. telling people that you don't. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And just saying that, you know, this that I just don't want to be caught out as someone who is afraid to ask for help. Yeah. Or, you know, lean on a mate or whatever. I want to be able to say, hey, see, I kept saying that. And now if I don't do that, I'm letting down the people that I've put on social media saying, hey, yeah. I'm going to ask for help. 100%. I love that. Um, I think that's a nice, nice point to... Oh, you suddenly became 774. Yeah, I did. I did get all 774. Thank you for listening on Drive. Make sure you check out. No, um, thank you so much for coming. (laughs) I wish we didn't have to wrap it up, but we kind of have to. Wow, we've gone now. I don't have my glasses on. I can't see what the time Flew past. Uh, That is incredible, Olivia. And um, thank you so much for being uh, so lovely. You know, your time on your birthday specifically to take it out to chat to us about it. Thank um, you for having me, and thank you for my blue cake. I <laughs> yeah, I hope it. I hope it. I don't know how it tastes, but let us know how it goes. I think it's going to taste blue. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, where can people find you? What's the best place if people want to contact you? And um, that you know, would be on Instagram. Not contact you. That's under. I mean, in terms of you know, our listeners are very uh, grateful uh, to listen uh, to guests that they've had on. Yeah. That they you know, uh, they're oh, very good at really reaching nice. out and saying thank you. So yeah, well, just on Instagram, it's just my name at Olivia Molly Rogers. Yep. Um, that's probably the best way. And if you DM me and I don't respond, just do it again because then I'll see it. (laughs) (laughs) Just be persistent. Excellent. Uh, Ben, you and I, we've got the Comedy Festival coming up uh, pretty much uh, next week. It kicks off uh, for me. Next uh, week. 25th of March to the 18th of April and then the 24th of April I'm in Sydney for a couple of shows at the Kim Sydney Comedy Store and in Brisbane. Who's supporting you in Sydney? Not you. Um, In (laughs) Support of contention. (laughs) We don't have time for this but tell me wh- <laughs> why I, I want to go away yeah so f- book your own holiday. fucking thing I've just, I mean I need to make a tax deductible I need to pray for the kids like, here we go Sydney all my work in Sydney dried up like it's just tax deductible anyway so and you're doing Bris- a show and can I finish my oh we go to Brisbane oh. <laughs> 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 we go to Brisbane as well oh 
<laughs> Sorry, awesome. kids. Daddy's got to go with Uncle Dill uh, away for uh, two two weekends. <laughs> uh, Brisbane Co- Comedy Fest. I uh, will be there at the Vizzy Theatre. So uh, uh, tickets and details will be on comedy.com.au or dillrookj.com. Um, yes, and of course at my show, uh, apparently with Josh Earl, uh, yeah, please grab a ticket. Uh, we'd love to see you there. Again, it's a small venue, so it's going to sell pretty quick. We probably may put on a couple of extra shows, but we need to sell out the rest of our season before we do that. So grab a ticket. Josh and I are doing straight stand-up and then, of course, taking your questions at the end. And also forgot a quick one. Uh, my other podcast, Mad Stacks with Ed Cavalier. That's yes. uh, been going great guns. Thanks for a lot. A lot of Fitbit fit, fit listeners have uh, crossed over because it's like Fitbit for money. For money, money yeah, for money. money. And yeah, and you know, if you, you know, if you're thinking about buying a house, check out Dill's podcast. But again, housing prices in this country have gone through the fucking roof. So what's the fucking point? <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> anyway, uh, thanks again, Olivia. Thanks again. Um, Thank you guys. And we'll I see you all next you. week. Bye. Thank you.